Hello and welcome to this week's Talking Pharmacy podcast. My name is Richard Thomas, editor of Pharmacy Magazine, and joining me on the pod this week are Rob Darricott, editor of P3 Pharmacy, and Arthur Walsh, editor of Pharmacy Network News. Neil Trainis is away. Now, we're recording this on Friday morning. Rob's about to head off to explore the unique viticulture of North Hampshire. Arthur is dialing in en route to Dublin. I'm holding the fort in a sweltering London town. God knows where Neil is. Coming up, we hear the remarkable story of the Medicines to Ukraine initiative. But first, let's do Good Week, Bad Week. Arthur, kick us off. Hi, Richard. So it's been a few weeks since we've had a Good Week, Bad bad Week chat. So we haven't had a chance to catch up about the GPHC exam fiasco, which has been, I think, the biggest story of the past several weeks. So this was on June 29th. The uh, GPHC put on its summer registration assessment, sat by around uh, 1,700 students, I think. And uh, very early on in the, in, in the day, it, it, there were reports of things going uh, dr- drastically wrong, particularly for students at the University of Nottingham, um, where I think probably most of our listeners were, were, will already know delays were significant because um, uh, of, of delays getting the computers from the from the test provider, um, B- BTL, I think they're called, and um, and candidates ended up sitting their second paper well into the evening and being chucked out of the building at 11 o'clock before they had enough time to finish their exam. And so, the, so there was a lot, a lot of sort of controversy over the University of Nottingham in particular, but there were also significant delays at um, a, a number of other universities. I think, I think Portsmouth Test, Test Centre as well, there were also issues there. Um, but in the days after that, um, there were there concerns a lot of concern was raised that the um, that the problems with the exam went a lot further than delays at some test centers and there are concerns raised about cheating and people being able to bring in calculators to to the paper two of the exam because um the invigilation of at some test centers was a little bit inconsistent and a lot of People were concerned about noise, kind of invigilators talking through the exam, and it was very sort of distracting for for uh, for trainees. Um, also, people concerned about the um, difficulty of the exam, which is an interesting one. I mean, I I I, I I'm I'm not sure myself, kind of um, what 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 to think of this, but but a lot of the trainees seem seem to feel that the. Uh, it, uh, the questions, particularly on the calculations paper, did not match the um, the level of difficulty of the sample questions that they were given in the, in, in the framework that they worked to. Uh, so a lot of um, concerns raised about this exam, uh, which is ve- bad news for the GPHC because it's not the first time throughout the COVID pandemic uh, they were criticised a lot for their handling of, of, of the exam. There were a lot of days, a lot of delays um, putting on in the first place. But also, um, when the exam was actually held last summer, um, there were kind of not as bad as this, but but kind of similar stories of of students having kind of just uh, unnecessary issues um, on on what is already a very stressful day. Uh, the GPHC's response to this has been initially quite poor, I would say. Um, they were accused of being. Uh, a little bit clinical in their tone to, to trainees, a little bit kind of procedural and, and unfeeling. Um, and their solution has uh, has been kind of interesting. So th- they're offer- they want to offer provisional registration to uh, candidates who can prove that they were affected by kind of procedural issues that, that you know, 
that 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 the GPHC or the or the test provider are responsible for. So that would be things like noise delays, technical issues with the computers, which um, have also been reported. Um, but things like cheating uh, are being dealt with separately, and I think the GPHC is kind of um, standing firm on the uh, on the integrity of the the. The, the actual paper itself which I suppose you would expect it to do but a lot of uh, a lot of candidates who sat the exam are still very unhappy there was a protest earlier this week and uh, trainees met with with the GPHC chief executive Duncan Rudkin and they have a number of demands including that uh, anyone who has to resit the exam should only sit the actual paper they failed say so if they if they if they pass paper one and fail paper two they, they should only have to um, have to re- reset the second one so still waiting for confirmation from the GPHC on that but I mean I think overall it's um, just been another disaster disaster for the GPHC that they really didn't need but I mean I mean I I, I, I don't know it's a it's it's a tough one but I, like you really really hope they take a good hard look at themselves and I hope someone I hope that someone takes an independent look look at them as well because uh I think having had so many issues with 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 these exams I'm not sure we can have confidence in the GPHC to get its own house in order um and I would hope that the the professional standards authority when it looks into the GPHC this year this year will kind of will take a take a serious look at this. Yeah, thanks Arthur. It's been an absolute fiasco, hasn't it? It's caused such upset and trauma for the the trainees affected as well. Rob, what's what's your take on this sad tale? It's awful, isn't it? Uh, I can't imagine what it's like being um, at the heart of that. Um, do, do they not? I mean, this is the, is this the first one with a new a new provider? Yes. Do they not have things like like a trial run? I mean, g- given given that people's you know whole careers potentially are at stake here um and the trauma of this sort of thing you'd think they might have tested the system to distraction before they actually went live i presume they didn't do that i guess it's difficult and it was you know it's a, a small a number of sites rather than the whole the whole thing but it just makes you wonder doesn't it yeah i think i mean it it's funny for a regulator you would think they would be very sort of cautious in their approach to everything but i think in the pandemic we saw a lot of seat of the pants decision making from the gphc that kind of you know raise raise a few concerns so i mean i wouldn't be surprised if that kind of due diligence wasn't carried out yeah there there was at the very least a complete lack of contingency planning wasn't there i don't know going back to to pen and paper with the universities invigilating again seems a, a an obvious solution to me, but you know, I wonder whether, if you look at the wider picture, that there needs to be an urgent review into whether the assessment is even fit for purpose in the first place. Um, anyway, the, the current situation is is completely unacceptable and, frankly, uh, an embarrassment for the profession. Right, I'll go next then. Um, I'm going to go for good week for Hub and Spoke. So two stories we've reported on in the last week or so. Um, We have Phoenix investing over £30 million in in a new distribution hub in Wakefield. But more interesting to me, though, is the news that the the 150-branch Peak Pharmacy Group 
is investing 20 million quid in its own hub and spoke operation. And there's a nice picture of, of Peter and Joe Kitty in their hard hats and high-vis jackets looking suitably mean and moody on the Markham Vale site uh, near the group's Chesterfield HQ, where it's going to be situated it. They're calling it Project Horizon, and uh, it's a good opportunity to do a bit of horizon scanning ourselves, because I think we're beginning now to get a picture of what medicines distribution in pharmacy might look like uh, in the near future, especially if, or, or rather when, the hub and spoke legislation changes. And I think everyone expects this to happen. It's certainly a, a bold statement of intent by Peak, which is a major player in the, the regional multiple space, of course. And it's it's clear to see, or where they see, uh, the direction of travel for pharmacy. So their facility is going to be able to handle over 400,000 items a month. It's expected to open in April next year. And, and Peak says it will probably accommodate up to 100 staff quoting now with the potential to grow into a 24-hour operation in the future. Um, and PCT Healthcare, which, which owns Peak, said it was building the hub, I'm quoting again, uh, in response to caps in government funding, which means that pharmacy businesses are having to be more efficient in how they handle prescriptions and centralising the process will free up local pharmacists and Peak Pharmacy staff to provide other services for patients such as vaccinations, blood pressure checks, and healthy living advice, uh, Jane said, end of quote. So uh, what's interesting to me, though, um, is that Peak says it plans to offer this centralised dispensing service to other independent pharmacies who don't have the resources to develop their own centralised service should or when the legislation allowing this change occurs in the near future. Now, long-term opponents of Hub & Spoke always express concern that it would consolidate market power still further in the large wholesalers to the detriment of independence. And the, the MPA raises this very point with the Competition and Markets Authority. You know, but I wonder whether this move by Peak reframes, reframes the argument somewhat, especially as I'm sure that other pharmacy groups with high prescription volumes will be looking very closely at following suit. And in fact, Paydens has already announced that it's uh, running a, a hub and spoke operation. So I'm not going to rehearse the, the pros and cons of Hub & Spoke. Again, we've done that many times on the pod, but I do think this move by Peak is significant. It's a glimpse into the future. Medicines distribution in pharmacy is going to change very fast now, I think. Uh, you've got the likes of HubRx in this space. The multiples are pushing ahead with, with centralized dispensing operations. The online pharmacy share of the market, it's small, yeah, but it's growing rapidly. And now you've even got the Royal Mail entering this space, tying up with P2U, Pharmacy2U, and Charak. So there's a lot going on. Things are changing really rapidly. And I think independents have got some thinking to do. So that's me. That's good week for Hub and Spoke. Uh, Rob, then, let's finish off with you. What have you got for us? Uh, thanks, Richard. Um so I'm going to say good week, um, good week for Mark Coziel, uh, the General Secretary of EFU, which is the European Association of Employed Community Pharmacists in Europe. Um, Mark, of course, is also the chairman of the PDA, but I, I'm, I'm talking about him this week in the context of his uh, wider role across Europe. So I've had a couple of conversations with Mark over the last few days about his remarkable trip to Ukraine. 
with the first £200,000 consignment of medicines and other supplies bought by donations from this new initiative, the Medicines to Ukraine campaign that EFU has organised. It's now running across a number of European countries, including France, Montenegro, Poland, Norway, Austria, Croatia, and as of last week or so, um, the UK. Now, you can read about Mark's trip and the rationale for the campaign on the Pharmacy Magazine website. Um, and there's a fascinating sort of first-person piece that I've also got from Mark, um, which will appear at some point on the P3 Pharmacy Magazine website. But briefly, um, the the contention and what sits behind the campaign is that I'm sure we've all seen sort of spontaneous collections of provisions being collected and transported in cars and vans to the Ukraine border. Um, and many of those collections contain medicines, uh, stuff that people have got at home. I mean, Mark tells me you can actually identify individual patient bottles of pills um, in amongst the medicines which have appeared in the Ukraine. Um, so while these individual acts of generosity can be applauded, quite rightly, um, what it has done is result in a pandemic of boxes um, from which it's increasingly difficult to extract medicines um, of origin generally unknown and so unfortunately most of these medicines are going to waste more importantly i think as the as the war continues uh, ukrainian casualties in ukrainian hospitals need much more specialist medication and the hospitals treating the casualties need medicines that are available from specialist suppliers and that i think most importantly are stored and transported under optimum conditions so again, Mark tells stories of seeing, you know, deliveries left in hospital car parks under tarpaulins. And we've got some pictures of piles of boxes of unusable materials just sitting in hospital corridors. So the answer to all of that is uh, a structured, organised scheme, Mark says. Um, and he poses a really important, I think this is a really interesting way of framing this. Why should this be any different to what we do in the UK? In hospital pharmacy, community pharmacy, it's all about supplying medicines, distributing medicines to the public in a safe uh, and efficacious manner. And so what the Medicines to Ukraine scheme has, has, has tried to do is introduce that safety and transparency to, to a programme and, and adopt a programme approach. Now, Mark got the job of, of researching this and exploring it and trying to put it together as the FU General Secretary. And, uh, you know, he was given the task of working out what the organisation as a whole could do following a, a specific request from pharmacists in Ukraine um, who were painting, as Mark says, a very vivid story of how hospitals were being destroyed and how the medicines infrastructure was being uprooted and could EFU do anything to help. Um, the interesting bit of the story, though, and I think it's it's something that we can all reflect on, is that Mark sees the scheme as very firmly rooted in pharmacists' expertise, uh, which he says is a vital component of, of the EFU scheme. It gives us an opportunity to show what pharmacists can do, he told me. Um, and he gave me an example. You know, when Ukrainians place an order, because that's effectively what they're doing, the Medicines to Ukraine programme is about donations of, of cash, um, when the Ukrainian pharmacists, uh, when the Ukrainian hospitals place an order, 
then it needs to be understood and it needs to be processed properly. And there are pharmacists who happen to be in Poland, uh, one of the neighbouring countries, who convert that particular order into the dosages, the strengths that can be ordered from various uh, wholesalers across the continent in a way that a charity or something like DHL simply couldn't do because they don't have the expertise. Um, and I think the nicest point about the whole story ultimately is that Mark says that his trip uh, tells him that the scheme is going to work. The first £200,000 worth of medicines, which wasn't the total value that had been raised at that point. There's another consignment of a similar um, a similar value uh, ready to go if it hasn't gone already, is the scheme's going to work and there is a role for pharmacists in it. Um, everywhere we went, people, even the big charity organisations, told us they had a problem and have always had a problem with, as they put it, the medicines thing. Um, and I, I think it, he's right. You know, there's a really important thing here uh, that he's that he's focusing in on. And I think that's why it's a good week because it, to me, it puts the emphasis of, of why this is so valuable um, on, on, on pharmacy and pharmacists and what they can do. There's a real job for pharmacists to make sure that our medicines expertise is used in those situations pretty much anywhere in the world, he says. And I should just finish by saying that, um, obviously, you know, it's a, it's a, a fascinating human interest story. I think uh, there's plenty of pictures of, of the sort of things that Mark's seen on his travels. Um, but ultimately, what does that mean that, uh, you know, what should happen next and what can people do to help if they are uh, motivated or moved by the story to do something? And so three simple messages really from Mark. Uh, put the posters up. They've been distributing it uh, through their uh, their channels, through their uh, magazine. It's gone out last week or the week before. We're positioning pharmacy as a solution to the problem. Go to the website. The website is www.medicines2ukraine, that's all one word, .com, and find out what the scheme is about. Um, enthusiastic members of the public will want to know more, so encourage people to help. That's what you can do. Importantly, don't send medicines. Uh, however obvious it seems, don't do it because it largely ends up being wasted and Mark's seen that with his own eyes. And ultimately, and I think this is a really nice and important point, use the opportunity to talk to patients and the public about medicines. That's what we do as pharmacists, Mark says, whether we're supplying medicines locally or to the other side of Ukraine. Let's show people what being a pharmacist is all about. So fair play. I think it's a it's a really nice story. Um, it's quite a harrowing one at, at times. Uh you can all read about that. Uh, but at the back of it is a really important and valuable uh, uh, piece of work and some really important messages, I think, about um, how people can support um, support the current challenges in, in the east of Europe uh, in a very practical way. That's an amazing human interest story there. And like Rob says, there's a really powerful account of the Medicines to Ukraine initiative that you can read about on the pharmacy magazine and P3 Pharmacy websites, graphically recounted by Mark Koziel. Hell of a tale, Rob. I mean, there's lots of detail in this story which people can read at leisure. But one thing that struck me and where I think there's a kind of a plea, if you like, is that uh, Mark says that the Children's Hospital, 
is really desperate for some expertise around antimicrobial resistance strategy. So, you know, they've got an issue. Soldiers and civilians injured in the east of the Ukraine are being brought into the centre of the country um, and then further west, uh, you know, behind the lines, as it were. And um, there's a perception that they've got a rapidly accelerating rate of antimicrobial resistance um, as things are being transferred across the country. Um, and Mark says that one senior clinician thinks they might have just a few months before they can un- can no longer undertake major surgery. So if there's anybody out there listening to this who fancies uh, hearing a bit more about it, then um, I'm sure that Mark would be really keen to uh, have a conversation um, and we can certainly put people in touch uh, if they contact us or if they don't, you know, if they can't get through to the PDA direct uh, to talk about that. But that's a specific plea. Um, They've also got a request um, that's gone out via a different route for uh, surgeons who specialise in blast injuries. There's no surprise that that's a particular um, issue. The surgeons they've got over there need training uh, they're improvising at the moment um and so there are appeals going out for for that sort of expertise as well but a very specific pharmacy pharmacy related one there so if anybody wants to hear more um contact the pda and get hold of mark okay thanks rob great stuff details about how you can support the medicines to ukraine initiative can be found in the stories on the pm and p3 websites and the charity website will be in the show notes to this podcast Hats off to Mark Coziel and everyone involved. It's a truly remarkable effort. And that brings us to a close for another week. All the Talking Pharmacy podcasts can be found on the PM website and from your usual podcast provider. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll be back next week, but for now, thanks very much for listening. <laughs>